Thanks, Val. Um, let me pray for us as we uh, look at this. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. And we pray, God, that your word would uh, impact us. It would be living and active like you say that it is. And it would uh, affect us and give us uh, the gospel of Jesus in a new way. Uh, Lord, that it might um, get into our hearts and our souls and our lives and our wills. Um, if maybe for the first time or maybe in a renewal way, God, you would be with us. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Um, also, too, I just want to thank Val, especially because he's putting together this entire live stream uh, for us. So it's an amazing thing. So when you see her buy her something um, expensive, uh, she would like that. So um, this series is called Encounters with Jesus. And we're looking at different stories, Jesus interacting with different characters in the Gospels. So today we're in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's, again, it's in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, and so um, it's really a double miracle today. Jesus forgives a man um, of his sins, but he also heals the man as proof that he is actually God. And so because of that, because, especially because he forgives the man of his sins, that creates a controversy in the story. And uh, so this, this idea of the forgiveness of sins is something we're going to dive into here tonight. In fact, it's mentioned some four times just in these 12 verses. So that's important to note. And so uh, as we start tonight, we're going to look at this idea of forgiveness. We're going to look at the surprise of forgiveness. We're going to look at the instrument of forgiveness. And we're going to look at the result of forgiveness. Okay, so the first thing, the surprise of forgiveness. So this story is, I've always loved this story. Um, Jesus is at home in Capernaum. Now Jesus grew up in Nazareth, I don't know, I think 20 or 30 miles. So at some point in his young adult life, um, you know, he's probably 30 years old now, he had moved away and he's living in Capernaum, which is next to the Sea of Galilee. If, if you see the Sea of Galilee like a circle, it's only like 11 o'clock. Um, so he's there and uh, he's at home, the passage says, and he's teaching the word of God to them. And it was the same thing he was doing last week when we looked at, uh, well, two weeks ago when we looked at Luke chapter 5. Jesus is all about teaching the word of God. And he had also been healing many people. And so a huge crowd comes to his home, Jesus' home, and everybody wants to go there. And, uh, you know, it probably wasn't that big of a home. The commentators believe there might be like 50 people inside like a small living space. Um, but they got to get to see Jesus. There was no social distancing at that time. Remember that. So he's having, basically Jesus is having a house party. I don't know if the cops are going to come. I have no idea. But he's teaching the crowd. And all of a sudden, these four men, these four friends and a paralytic um, come to the house. And they see it's a crazy crowd. And it, and. And so they can't get in, and they're probably trying to push in and get in through the front door. They go in the back door. They can't get in there. Maybe they're trying to get in through the windows. People are packed. They can't get in. But these guys are smart. They're engineers at the University of Maryland, and they, and they devise a plan. We're going to go up on the roof, and these are like tile concrete roofs up there. They start digging through Jesus' roof, 
and they make a hole. And I can just see Jesus in there <laughs> with the crowd. And there's all this debris falling on him. And, you know, Jesus like looks up and these guys poke their heads through, you know, this, <laughs> the ceiling and the roof. And next thing you know, they throw ropes down and they lower their buddy down right in front of Jesus. I mean, what nerve do they have? I mean, Jesus is teaching and they break his house. Um, and, and then it's, but, but here's the thing. There's a surprise here. As the story goes on, Jesus sees the man and he says this in verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I'm one of these friends who've been carrying the paralytic for who knows how long, how many miles, um, I think I'd be disappointed at that point. I'd be like, Jesus, we didn't come here for forgiveness of sins. We came here so our friend could walk. We came here so that you would heal his body like you've been healing lepers and healing sick people and healing the lame and the blind. Like, he's paralyzed. We want him healed. But instead, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. So there's something really important here, but it's a surprise. You know, when I was a child, uh, my I'm the youngest of five, and my older siblings had a friend who, um, from high school, and she was in a really bad swimming accident, a diving accident, actually, in the Chesapeake Bay, and she broke her neck, and she severed her spinal cord, and she, she was a quadriplegic. She's still living to this day, but... She would come over as, you know, I guess 19 or 20 years old in her wheelchair. And I just remember as a kid just watching her, someone had to do everything for her, comb her hair, put her makeup on, put her in bed, take her out of bed, help her to go to the bathroom, put her clothes on. I mean, she had a major disability being a quadriplegic. And, uh, and so as I think about this story, I think, wow, this, this paralyzed person and all these friends that are helping all the time, like forgiveness of sins is not really what you need right now. What you need is to be healed. But something is more important. And this is, this is uh, the surprise of forgiveness, that Jesus is saying something about our sin. He's saying that the brokenness we have between God and the brokenness in our soul is more devastating than being paralyzed. Uh, and in fact, because of the brokenness of sin, going all, all the way back to the curse in Genesis 3, the separation of God from God due to our sin led to a curse over all creation and led to brokenness and led to disease and led ultimately to death. And so all of us here are only going to be here for some 70, 80, maybe 100 years if we're really strong, but we are living in a world of death and death the scriptures say, has come through sin and the curse of sin. And, and so when Jesus forgives this man's sin, he is, he is fixing the ultimate problem of his life. And when he forgives anyone's sin, he's fixing the ultimate problem of our life. Um, just, just to define sin, sin in the Bible is really any um, going against God's law. So if you think of the Ten Commandments, the summary of the Ten Commandments is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving others as yourself. So anytime you don't love God or, or think about God or pray to God or, you know, give God his glory, 
you are sinning. Anytime you don't love other people, you're sinning. And so it breaks it down like idolatry. It breaks it down. Um, coveting. Uh, anytime you covet, anytime you lie, anytime you steal, anytime you commit adultery, even by thought life, or you hate somebody or you don't like somebody, like you're breaking the Ten Commandments and you are doing what's happened ever since Genesis 3. We are, we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve and we are sinning and we're following them. And it says in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. And so the first part that when you come to the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, you see this little word sin all over the place, and it really is a significant thing to understand. Um, and to understand the gospel and the hope of the gospel and anything about Jesus Christ, you have to understand this idea of sin, and you have to really think about it yourself. Am I a sinner? Do you believe what the Bible says about you? Can you see uh, sinful behavior, sinful thoughts, uh, you know, all of the things that come from inside of ourselves? Like, can you see that in your life? Um, this is a problem, and this is what Jesus ultimately has come to deal with. And so just take a moment even tonight and think, like, am I a sinner? Can you say that? That's the first step, really, of understanding who God is. In fact, Tim Keller said, cheer up, you're worse than, you're th when you, than you thought. That actually when you start looking at yourself and you start really analyzing your motives and your behavior, you see that more and more you're a bigger sinner than you really ever realize. But that's really the first part of the gospel. You have to understand your sin in order then to be forgiven and come to Christ. And that's the second thing here, the instrument of forgiveness, the instrument of forgiveness. The story shows us that faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus is really the instrument of how we are forgiven. Again, verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven forgiven. So let's look at faith briefly. True faith is, is really illustrated in this passage. Um, and the first thing that these friends of the paralytic, and maybe the paralytic as well, was the one saying, hey guys, you, you got to get me to Jesus. Um, the first part of faith is responding to knowledge about Jesus. So if you think about this early part of Jesus's ministry, his reputation is going out. People heard him teach. People saw him and experienced his healing touch, casting out demons, um, healing the lame, the blind, the sick. And they said to themselves, oh, yeah, that's happening, but who cares? No. They responded to the news they heard about Jesus, and they began to go towards him. And, you know, that's what it takes for us. Uh, that means, like, for you and I, like, it might mean reading the Bible for the first time. It might, it might mean, like, hey, now I'm in college, like, and, you know, I've heard these stories or Sunday school, or maybe I have some, a little bit of a church background. Maybe I don't, but you know what? This is college, man. This is the time to really dig in. You're learning all these other um, subjects in the university. I would really encourage you, if you're you've never examined the christian faith like use this time get a bible we'll get you a bible tell me text me um we'll get you a bible um if you want to sit down with me or one of the interns or one of the other students you know that's a christian to like ask questions that's why ruf is here to really investigate and help you respond to jesus to help you to respond to this amazing person the god man who has come and so that's the first part 
of thinking about faith. It's responding positively and going towards Jesus. And I'd like to say, too, that Christianity is often said, well, it's just blind faith. Like, you you know, you really can't be sure. Um, these are like myths and legends. And I would say, you know, that's not, it's not faith in faith. Um, we have, we have a, a written historical record in the Bible. That's the amazing thing about the Old Testament and New Testament. It's actually, a, it's, it's both a, the living word of God, but it's also a historical record. P Jesus really lived. You can go to Josephus, historical record. These things really did happen. That's what we're saying about the Bible. That it's not just myths or things that have been edited, but like this is the living word. It's also historical, historically accurate, and we can go to him. We can investigate um, what the Bible has to say. It, it's telling us something, and so have you examined it? Have you, have you gotten into it enough to really know what it says and know what it's calling us to do? And the, the part B of this is true faith is relentless. It's almost desperate. And what I mean by that is, Again, the friends didn't say, oh, yeah, Jesus is over there. I think tomorrow we might, like, slip over there and see what he's doing. No, they're, like, going there with a purpose, and they're not going to be denied. They're going to, like, like, if you're hungry, you're going to tear the, the, the door off the refrigerator to get in there for that, you know, whatever you're hungry for. They're looking at Jesus like that. They're, they're going to die. They're going to dig through the roof. They're going to wreck his house just to get to him. That's, there's something about this. There's a, the, true faith has a desperation because you know what it's saying? It's saying that, like, in my sin, I'm hopeless. I'm desperate. And true faith says, like, it, it acknowledges, like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a goner. I'm, like, a sinful person. I'm messed up. Like, I need forgiveness. I need healing. I need, I need hope. Um, and so true faith is desperate for that because the other side of it is like unbelief and being satisfied like in your sin and in your life and like that's no way to be um and so do you have this idea that jesus is your only hope what true saving faith says i'm a sinner i can't trust at all on myself because because i'm broken okay because my heart is going against god because i'm looking at idols all the time for my practical salvation. And what the gospel is saying is Jesus is our ultimate hope. Like we can't stand before God and say, look at my GPA or look at my career, or, look at my bank account or look at all the good things I did for people. I love my family well. No, what true faith is, is trust alone in Jesus is our only hope because he's the one who paid the perfect sacrifice. And we're going to get into that in a second. And so do you see your need? Do you see your brokenness? Do you see that you're a sinner? And the third thing is this, the result of forgiveness, the result of forgiveness, complete restoration, body and soul. What you have in this miracle is first you have forgiveness. You have the soul restored, the spirit restored, a resurrected spirit. He is given new life because he believed his sins are forgiven. Okay. But what you have at the end of the story is ultimately uh, a renewal of his entire body that Jesus forgives his sin and then he heals him and now he has a new body and he jumps up and he takes his bat and he goes home and everybody's like woohoo and they're praising God um and so G so the story the story is declaring to the the entire world and to us 
today in 2020 that Jesus is God. And so when he says, son, your sins are forgiven, again, that caused quite a stir because there was another side there watching him, the scribes. In some gospels, the teachers of the law. These were, these were the guys who knew their Old Testament. They were the religious leaders. They were basically the, the religious status quo. And they were very wary and critical of Jesus. And they saw him rising and they saw the crowds rising. And this is going to begin a position where they're going to seek to destroy Jesus. They have a critical spirit. They're unbelief. They have anger. They accuse him of blasphemy. When he says that, son, your sins are forgiven, they think this is blasphemy because what Jesus is doing, he's not saying like prophets of the Old Testament, um, the Lord forgives you like a priest would do. He's saying your sins are forgiven. Like I am like fiat changing your life right now. I am forgiving you. I'm declaring you forgiven. Only God could do that. Well, Jesus is claiming to be God. That is what he's doing. He realizes who he is. He's the son of God come for a purpose to die and to rise again. And he is going to forgive his sins. But the Pharisees, they are looking at the Old Testament. There's verses back in Leviticus and numbers. It says blasphemy um, incurs death, like the, you know, the uh, condemnation of death. If you're guilty for blasphemy uh, as an Israelite, you would be put to death. And really, ultimately, that's what put Jesus on the cross. And so. Here's grace, though. Here's grace. So they're accusing him. Jesus could have said, forget about you guys. He's healed. He's, his sins are forgiven. Let's go home. But here's what he does with this. He's as a proof in verse 10, he says, but that you may know that the son of man, a title Jesus uses for God, for himself. He says, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all. This is the grace of Jesus, okay? He's showing he has the power to forgive. But to prove that he has the power to give, he literally snaps his finger, so to speak, and says, rise, get up. And the man gets up, and he's completely healed. And uh, the whole place praises God. And so it's interesting. In the passage, he says, what's harder, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise, Get, pick up your mat and walk. Now, it, it might be, it, it's, it's probably easier to say uh, your sins are forgiven, right? Because you don't, don't really have proof of that. But on another side, actually, that's harder. That's harder. Because what did Jesus do? He ultimately became the instrument for forgiveness. Jesus' Jesus's purpose was to live the perfect life of an Israelite, to love God with his all, all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to take the sins of his people on himself on the cross and to die so that he can offer forgiveness. So that he can declare forgiveness. You see, the reason why Jesus could forgive his sins is because he was the one who went to the cross and took the punishment for us. He took God's wrath for our sin. He was sinless. He was the Lamb of God with no sin. And he takes our sin so therefore he can forgive and to prove his forgiveness, he heals the man. And so um, this is grace that Jesus would come here and he would uh, be on his way to the cross so that he could forgive this man's sin, the friends, and also our sins. 
And so what you see then finally at the end, again, is completeness. And it's really a picture of a foretaste of what's going to happen at the end of time. Because, because of Jesus's uh, forgiveness and what he did on the cross, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about it's as if the entire world is going backwards now. We are being healed. Um, if you're familiar with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's like Aslan is on the move and things are becoming more and more beautiful. And so with the forgiveness of sins and his death on the cross, what Jesus is ultimately going to do is wipe away every tear. He's going to restore all that's broken, people that are paralyzed, uh, getting rid of COVID-19, cancer, everything uh, is going to be ultimately restored when Jesus comes again, new heaven, new earth. And so Jesus' kingdom, he's, he's showing his kingdom when he's on the earth for those three years doing his ministries. These miracles are kingdom signs that, hey, look what I can do because I am God. And ultimately, I am going to renew everything. But to be totally renewed, you have to have your sins forgiven first. That's the priority of this passage. And so um, I'm going to go back as I close with, you know, the the. The, the young woman who would come over our house, the quadriplegic. Some of you might know um, this name, but her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. And uh, she grew up in Woodlawn, went to Woodlawn High School, was involved in Young Life, uh, became a Christian in Young Life. And then I think it was the summer of her uh, senior years where she was diving into the Chesapeake Bay. She hit her head, uh, a shallow dive, broke her neck, severed her spinal cord. She was from the shoulders down unable to move in a striker frame down in Baltimore, one of the uh, hospitals for months. And uh, during that time, um, she just wanted to commit suicide. She tried to get friends to come in and just say, let's get it over with. Like take, you know, I, I, I don't want to be here anymore. But in the midst of that, God began to work in her life and friends would come in and they would read the Bible to her and pray with her. And they would start talking about God's sovereignty, even in her, um, in her quadriplegic condition. And here's what happened. She began to sense God's Holy Spirit, and God began to work in her. And uh, she began to have hope. And next thing you know, she would take a, a pen in her uh, mouth, and she began sketching and drawing. And she became like this amazing artist. Um, and not only that, but she began sharing her testimony. And now it's literally 50 years later. She's still living. She started a uh, ministry for disabled people called Johnny and Friends. It's worldwide. She speaks at conferences. She sings. She's written songs and um, been with theologians at these conferences. And she will say, um, you know, that she's really... All, I mean, amazing thing. She's thankful that God brought her into that condition of breaking her neck so that, so that God, so that Jesus would be more precious to her because she understood that like the ultimate thing was her soul and her spirit being set free and being forgiven. And it's changed her entire life and her outlook in life. And now she like serves really thousands of people across the world. And so, um, Amazing things, but for, but, it, but it began with forgiveness, and then that led to now, and now she longs for heaven, obviously, and she longs to be made new, but in the meantime, Jesus is enough for her. Is Jesus enough for you? Do you have forgiveness? Let me pray. 
God, thank you for this night. Thank you for my friends who are scattered about uh, in their homes. I pray that you would continue to bless them and help us, Lord, to think about these things, to think about the gospel and sin and the forgiveness you offer. I pray that you would be very real to us. Help us with our doubts and our questions. And so, Lord, uh, bless these folks. Keep them well. Um, bless them in their studies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.